0: Hey grown-up friends, a big thank you to so many of you that have already bought my new book, Launching Financial Grown-ups: Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. This book was not easy to write because I had to get honest with myself about what was working with my teen and young adult kids and what was not working. And I also had to be prepared to share it with all of you. So first of all, thank you for your support and your wonderful responses to it. There's definitely some things in there that you may not have been expecting to hear. By the way, I got a lot of help from my money expert friends and also financial therapists and parenting experts. I am really happy with how launching Financial Grownups came out, even though it really was hard to be Like I said, that honest and um, it was a lot of work, but I really love doing it and I'm really happy with how it came out. On that note, if you have not already, please pick up a copy of Launching Financial Grownups Today. After you do, please share it on social media. Please leave a review on Amazon. Those reviews are super important because the algorithm picks up on them and that can make the book a lot more visible to more people. So I truly appreciate it and I really also appreciate all of your support.
1: The more that you're asked to show up to meetings and be on, have your camera on, have maybe your home environment shown, there's a cost to you in terms of your energy levels.
0: You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grown-Ups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grownups. ups because you know what? Grown-up life is really hard, but together we got this. Hey friends, I hope everyone is enjoying summer and I'm betting many of us are continuing to work from home and hopefully getting some time off as well. By now it has become clear that that model of work, hybrid, working from home, who knows what, and big emphasis on who knows what, is not going away anytime soon. Jill Duffy, the author of The Everything Guide to Remote Work shared some great tips with us earlier this year Including the most practical ways to set up our work from home or work from wherever life. And my favorite part, what we can get for free while we are at it. And who doesn't love free? Here is Jill Duffy. Jill Duffy, you're a financial grown up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think you get the award for one of, if not the most relevant books this winter of 2022, The Everything Guide to Remote Work, the ultimate resource for remote employees, hybrid workers, and digital nomads, which I think covers almost all of us at this point. So congrats on the book. Thank you. Let's start with the at-home setups. They've kind of evolved over the last two years. What are people spending money on that's working out and what are things that we're sort of or should be moving away from?
1: you can spend as much money as you want on a home office or a home work setup. What you actually need uh, may not be something super expensive. So you can spend a lot of money if that will make you happy and it will improve your work life. And you can go very, very lean if what you're concerned about is not um, creating a lot of waste and not spending too much money. So the basic things you need will probably be some kind of a computer Maybe headphones to help your concentration or to have video call meetings be a little bit better. But then beyond that, it starts to get a little bit more choosy. So you'll want to have a desk. You'll want to have a chair. Whether you use a chair that's already in your home or you buy an expensive office chair, maybe may be up to you. However, if you work for an employer, you should really ask if they will pay for some of this equipment, especially a chair, because it's necessary and it's usually a little bit more expensive than the other things you'll need. So get a good chair that you're comfortable sitting in. I sit in a dining room chair. I had an office chair. I found it wasn't very comfortable. I like this better. And I invested about $30 or $40 in a back cushion. So a back cushion is a very inexpensive item you can add that makes your setup a little bit more comfortable. For people who work remotely but aren't always at home, a good uh, way to use things around the house is to try working from... A kitchen table or a dining room table rather than a desk if you find that your desk is too high. So you don't need to go out and buy a whole new desk, but it turns out that kitchen tables are usually two or three inches lower than the standard desk. So again, rather than buying a new desk or maybe getting a keyboard tray, that would be another solution. Just try using a different table, see if that changes the height of things a little bit for you. And then if you're really lean and you don't want to invest in a back cushion, you can also use a small towel rolled up in a a roll for lumbar support or even just a small pillow in the same kind of way. And then other things, you know, something like a lamp would be really necessary for people who do paper-based work. If you are an artist, you might need some extra peripherals. I think having an external keyboard and a mouse are really, really important. So if you're working from a laptop you may not have those things already, that's a good one to spend maybe about $100 on just to make your, your wrist and your hands a little bit um, more comfortable. But if you don't have them and you find working on a laptop is okay, that's perfectly ergonomically correct because laptops are now thin enough that it's not gonna create a huge stress on your wrist joints if you just work on a laptop.
0: It's interesting because we we sort of moved home in a frenzy in March of 2020 and we kind of put together our setups thinking they were temporary. Now that many people are thinking that these remote setups. We say work from home, but home, you know, has become very loosely defined these days. How has it evolved? Are there things that people should be doing? I mean, you really just talked about very basic things. Okay. People, if they're realizing this is a sort of more permanent situation, how do you up it beyond that? Because I also feel like we could be suckers. I mean, there's a whole industry now that is trying to tell us that we need, you know, like you just talked about rolling up a towel but there's many people that will sell you at all price points all kinds of back support how much is necessary i mean obviously as you said we can spend infinite money but should we be rolling our eyes at a lot of this stuff sometimes i think so
1: i mean you could buy a laptop riser or you could stick your laptop on a on three or four books when you need it to be a little bit higher which is something people often do for remote work calls you know you want your camera to be a little higher you could buy the expensive chair or you could go with the back cushion or the towel. So there's always a way to trade it off. But I think ultimately, making sure that you're happy and comfortable is really important. So if you're going to invest a little bit of money, think about what items you would want that will actually improve your work from home life or your remote work life and make you happy. Another place people often spend money is on shared workspaces. So something like a WeWork uh, subscription or even a rental office that you might share with other people or that you might use once a week and you have another friend use it a couple of other days a week. That will allow you to get out of the house. So for people who find themselves very antsy being at home, being in the same situation all the time, that's a good way to kind of change it up. You know, before the COVID pandemic, I had a great routine of working two days every week from a coffee shop. And that was sort of my second location. It was a way for me to get away from the same stimuli I was always surrounded by in my home environment. And then COVID really changed that I didn't go as much. So I think as we're moving into into a space where our risks are coming down, people are vaccinated, things have opened up, finding yourself a second place to be is really, really helpful, especially on those days when you just start to feel like you're you're stagnating. So again, if you have a little bit of money or maybe your employer is supporting you financially, look into a co-working space, looking to an office you might rent. And if you don't, maybe a coffee shop is a good place. Maybe you have a friend or a relative nearby who isn't at home and you can use their home to work every now and again when you need a little bit, bit of peace, peace and quiet.
0: I think a change of scenery is so important. You also talk in the book about the fact that meetings have a cost. Part of that is financial, but there's other costs as well. Can you talk about both the financial cost of meetings and then the other things that we don't always fully appreciate? People get so burned out by meetings. And a lot of studies are showing that they feel more
1: burned out by meetings in the remote work environment where meetings are often virtual. And the dynamic changes a little bit. The the way that people interact changes a little bit. So people feel like they're always on. And so there's a cost with your energy. The more that you're asked to show up to meetings and be on, have your camera on, have maybe your home environment shown, there's a cost to you in terms of your energy levels, what work you can do after the meeting ends, that time spent ramping up to the meeting, the time spent winding down from the meeting. So I like to think instead about the way that we want to take value from a meeting. So rather than say, we used, to have, we used to have meetings in the workspace, let's transfer that online. What we should really say is, what value did we get from meetings? And is there a better way to do this in a remote work environment? And what I've seen in a lot of remote first companies is they start to embrace tools that allow them to, to replicate parts of the meeting or value that they get from the meeting without actually being on a camera call. So a good example is a shared whiteboard. Let's say you have a weekly or a monthly meeting where people are brainstorming ideas. Rather than wait for the meeting time where everybody must show up and be there and be on and have energy, give them the shared whiteboard where people can post their ideas at any time that it strikes them. And that way you can still have a meeting where you discuss it and you come up with some more ideas, but that allows people to have the time and the space and the energy to think about their ideas and add them when it's
0: right for them rather than pigeonhole them into this meeting format. So I'm curious about your take on something that's becoming a little bit controversial with all this online meeting burnout. So I have a friend that works for a large corporation And she has a team that is at this point pretty much, you know, it's all virtual, but it's people that were even hired virtually at this point that they're not people that that she knew in the before times. And the frustration is that many of them don't want to turn their cameras on during meetings. Part of it could be the things that you're talking about, that it does take so much energy, but they never turn on their cameras. And she's asking them to. And as a manager, she feels she can't really connect with them. We are recording this. We're only recording the audio, but you and I are looking at each other on camera. I feel it helps us connect and have a better interview, even though we're not in the same place. What's the flip side of that? How do you get people to, when you do meet, turn the cameras on? And is that something that managers are going to start pushing for more as we keep this remote world, and it evolves?
1: I think about this in two ways. So one is the very real sort of situation that you're talking about, that that people expect you to have your camera on because they want to connect. The other thing to think about here is that in COVID times, a lot of people were told to work remotely from home without being asked. So it wasn't voluntary. We didn't opt into it. We were told that we had to do it. What I've heard a lot of, especially from women of color, is that they feel it's a deep invasion of privacy to be told that your camera must be on. They're in their home environment. You might not dress up as much as you would if you were presenting yourself in a professional environment. You might have kids or elderly people or people with special needs in your home. You might not want to show what's in your home. You might not just want to do it because that's really asking a lot of people, And I think we need to be sensitive to that. So I think hands down, the rule should be, if at any point in time you need to have your camera off, leave your camera off. The reality is, in the business world, we have expectations that aren't always great placed upon us. And sometimes we do need to turn our cameras on and show up. So I would say for people who really don't like to be on camera, try to pick one or two times in regular meetings that you have where you're willing to have your camera on. You can blur your environment. You can use a background image to create a little bit more privacy. You can swivel your computer setup so that your back is against a plain wall. Don't show the kid mess. Don't show (laughs) your kitchen. Don't show the art on your wall. You don't have to show those things. But I think we need to give everybody a pass, especially in this time where we've been told to work from home and we didn't opt into it, that people are allowed to have their privacy when they need
0: it. That's a really good perspective to really process. One last question before I let you go, Jill. One thing that you talk about in the book is that there are things that we may not know we can ask for our companies to pay for, but they can and it's it's they can and, and they should. And we think of things like, you know, you talked about chairs and this and that. Yeah, we can make the case they should buy us an ergonomic chair, may work, may not. What can we get companies to pay for these days? There are a lot of
1: other things. So if you think about the amount of time you may have put into learning and networking in the past, such as going on a business trip or a business conference, those are the kinds of things you can ask for in the remote world, too. So maybe it's something like an online business conference or an online learning program instead, which there are many of, and they're very inexpensive. They're extremely accessible. But those are the kinds of things that you can just say, hey, I want to learn more about such and such topic, or I think it would advance my career if I learned about this. Would you be willing to pay for it? And I think it's always a good idea to come forward with a complete plan. So rather than say, hey, do we have any money for learning? You say, I want to take this particular course. Here's the link to it. Here's a little bit about the instructor and what it would cost when I plan to do it. Something like that. Give your manager a reason to say yes easily. The more that you do the work in advance for them, the easier it is for them to say yes. I think another compelling point to this is that it doesn't always have to relate directly to your job. So if we look at productivity research, we find that people who cultivate interest and expertise in areas outside of their job, end up being more productive at work. And there's a lot of theory as to why people sometimes think, oh, if you can think outside of the box because you have different experiences from another world, that's great. But anything from learning to play a musical instrument to doing artwork, sports, even practicing comedy routines, we found that it it does make people more productive. So if you can convince your employer to pay for something that enriches your learning that maybe isn't directly tied to your work, you you could be able to convince them to pay for that too.
0: All right. So everyone who dreams of being a stand-up comic, you now know you can try to make your case to your boss. Jill, this was great. Tell us, where can we find out more about you and the everything guide to remote work?
1: The Everything Guide to Remote Work is on sale now. uh, Anywhere that you buy books online, I'm on Twitter at Jill E. Duffy, J-I-L-L-E-D-U-F-F-Y. And I'm also a contributing writer and editor at PCMag.com, where I write a lot about productivity and software and organizing your
0: digital life. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So many great takeaways. I love the idea of using just a simple dining chair with a back cushion or even a towel rolled up for lumbar support. Who needs all those fancy things? And of course, just the idea of asking for things from your employers, the worst they can say is no. Even then, as things go on, policies may adjust. So make sure to check in at your job's HR website periodically to see if new benefits pop up. Things are always changing. Thanks to everyone who has been in touch about enjoying my book, Launching Financial Grownups. If you have not already, please do leave a review on Amazon. I am trying to get 100 reviews and I really need each and every one of you to help me get there. Thank you so much. Big thanks to the Everything Guide to Remote Works, Jill Duffy for helping us all be financial grownups. Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media LLC. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, BobbyRabel.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at BobbyRabel1 on Instagram and BobbyRabel on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my money tips for grownups club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. and You know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grownup friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, Help your friends on their journey to being financial grownups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.